following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. It is a real privilege for us this morning to have Maya Whitaker here to preach to us today. Maya is from Christchurch. That's in the Southern Island um, somewhere, I think, just for those of you who weren't sure. Uh, and Maya got up real early this morning and flew up and landed at 7.30 a.m. this morning. So if you're feeling tired this morning, just give a you know, spare of thought for Maya here. Uh, but Maya teaches at Laidlaw College. She's part of the faculty there. So Laidlaw College, we talk quite a bit about Laidlaw, but they have a campus here in Auckland and a campus in Christchurch. And uh, Maya is part of the faculty based in Christchurch, although you come up a fair bit to do stuff up here in Auckland. And Maya leads the practical theology team at Laidlaw College, which is about taking all of the great stuff in theology and biblical studies and so on and contextualizing that and outworking that in life and mission and ministry in all kinds of ways. And uh, Maya and I teach a course together. Uh, we teach this course called Christian Leadership and Mission. And so we have this classroom. Maya's teaching down in Christchurch, and I'm teaching in Henderson, and we're video linked up. And so it's this one classroom, uh, which is great. And we have a lot of fun. And so I appreciate Maya as uh, a scholar and a teacher and a pastor, Maya's connected to the Equippers Network of Churches. And so it's a privilege to have you, Maya. Thank you so much for giving the time to this. Let's give a hearty North Island welcome to Maya Whitaker. <laughs> Thank you. Tēnā koutou. Nā mihi mahana. Kia koutou toku whanau i te ingoa tapu ahu karaiti. Ko Maya Whitaker. Toku ingoa. So it's great to be with you this morning. Warm welcome. Um, from me to you, and I received the warm welcome from you to me. Uh, this has been a lovely space. You get, do you get that kind of like beautiful, spacious ministry space with the violin every week? Is that awesome? Thank you. That was that was a real blessing to me. Uh, so, like um, Reuben said, I'm based in Christchurch, and I am a lecturer at Laidlaw College. I'm um, ordained pastor in the Quippers Church Network, which is part of the Acts. Uh, family of churches, but I do a lot of different, um, connected with lots of different kinds of churches, all different styles of church, uh, from the very liturgical to the very Pentecostal. Last weekend, I went from Vineyard Conference on the Saturday to on the Sunday, I was at the installation of the new Lutheran pastor, and it was Cantor and back and forth and all the things, which is the church I grew up in, so that was fantastic. Hey, I've got a photo of my family to show you. Um, this is my family. Now, this photo, to my shame, is actually from two years ago. So these, um, it's my husband, Dave. He has slightly less hair um, from two years ago. These are my four daughters, Ruby. They have slightly longer hair. Ruby has many colours in her hair. She dyed it purple one night in the holidays. We left her for a night and she sent me a text in the morning and she dyed her hair purple. Um, that didn't go down so well at school. So... So Ruby is my eldest, she is 15, Isabel is my second daughter, she's 13, Tessa is 11, and Ida, our baby, is six, so I'm mum to four girls, and it is a delight, whatever they tell you, if you're a mother of many daughters, um, it's actually better than you think it's going to be, it's better than the random people at the supermarket will prophesy of your life, um, <laughs> it's actually beautiful. So yeah, that's my family who I've um, left this morning who are taking care of themselves and actually remarkably doing that. 
So in Library Raven said, I teach uh, a few different things, but one of my favourite courses to teach is an introductory Christian leadership and mission paper. And we talk a lot about, obviously, leadership in it and like that vocation and figuring out, like, what is this thing that God wants to do with my life and how do I know that? And one of the things I say a lot is that you can figure out the th- kind of thing that God wants you to do by figuring out who you are by looking at the way that God has shaped you, looking at your story, and that will give you some clues about the things that God has made you for. Quite logical, really, um, but needs quite a lot of saying. One of the things I find that when I'm teaching that course, and some of the things that I'm going to, I'm imagining in my mind the objections already, uh, where you go, oh, this is not one for me. We think, I'm not really, I'm not really a leader. I'm not really someone who God wants to use. Today we're going to spend some time in the story of Moses, so Exodus 3 and 4, talking about how why Moses didn't think that he was God's man uh, for leading a nation. And clearly, uh, none of us are leading a nation. I don't think Chris Luxon has turned up here this morning, uh, but we're all called to be leaders in some way, actually, even if you don't think of yourself as that. Parker Palmer says, when we live in the close-knit ecosystem called community, everyone follows and everyone leads. For better or for worse, I lead by word and deed simply because I am here doing what I do. If you are also here doing what you do, then you also exercise leadership of some sort. Are you here today doing what you do? Yes, you are. You exercise leadership of some sort. So if you want to open your Bibles to Exodus 3 and 4, we'll take our way through it. But the story of Moses, it's, it's a, like an origin story of like incredible proportions. There's this epic story of calling and qualification and being utterly disappointed and utterly disqualified. And then there's still God calling again, despite that disqualification and despite that disappointment. And I want to um, I want to say to you here today, maybe you're young and you're looking out in your life and imagining the great things that God wants to do with you. Absolutely, this message is for you. Maybe you're here today looking back and going, oh, there are so many things that I thought God was going to do and he didn't do. Or I had a crack at and I stuffed it up. This message is for you. Maybe you're here today thinking, I'm probably near the other end of life. This message is for you as well. You are never too old. The oldest student that I have in my class this semester is 88. She has just started studying. She is 88. You are never too old uh, to lean further into the call that God has in your life. And she's talking about ministry. She's not just like, I'm doing this for interest. She's like, I want to use this in my place of ministry. She's 88. Bev is an inspiration to me. So what's been happening in Exodus 1 and 2 with Moses? Well, he's born into genocide The situation is that the people of Israel are living in Egypt. They've become strong and powerful because God's blessing is upon them. And the Egyptians who don't really, well, the Pharaoh who's kind of forgotten the whole story with Joseph and the plagues and whatever that, not the plagues yet, Joseph and the the saving up the land and the famine, forgotten all that stuff. They're oppressing the Israelites. And it's got to the point, it's so bad that any baby boys who are born, the midwives are told to kill them. So imagine that. Imagine that. You're having a baby and you think, oh, I hope it's not a boy because he's going to get murdered immediately. Oof, he's born into genocide. Somehow his mum manages to hide a three-month newborn 
hired a newborn for three months. I do not know what kind of miracle power she had to conceal a small baby. Because small babies make a lot of noise, but somehow she manages it. Gets to three months, she just she can't she can't keep this up. She can't hide him anymore. And so she casts him into the river. They told that all of the, all of the baby boys have to be thrown into the river, but she puts him in the river in a wee boat and sets him out like act of faith. I, I surrender this child to you, God. Would you do something? And God does something amazing. He's found by a princess, a daughter of the Pharaoh, who just happens to be bathing and. Moses is super cute. Like, you know how you all think your baby is cute, but we, we know that there are some babies that are not, they're not particularly cute. Like, they're not. Honestly, I remember my first daughter came out and I was like, oh, you look a bit strange. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she came right. She's beautiful now, but like, whoa, she's very big eyes. Um, beautiful. She came very cute. But you know how, like, but Moses was an exceptional child. He must have been beautiful. And, and the, the princess is captivated. And Moses' mum has done this secret thing where he's, she's got um, Moses' older sister to um, hide out and just like pop out at the right time to be like, oh, look, princess, I see you've found a baby. Would you like to keep the baby? I know someone who could be your wet nurse. Would you like, would you, we could do that for you. And the princess says, oh, great. Yep, that'd be fantastic. I'll pay you. So pretty much the mother has surrendered her child. The mother gets the child back for three years and is paid to look after him, which is actually quite a remarkable turn of events. But eventually she has to give him back and he grows up in the palace, kind of knowing who he is, but feeling absolutely out of place. He's educated. He starts wearing all the eye makeup that the um, Egyptians wear. That's not specifically in the scripture, but I feel like that's a safe guess. But I reckon Moses, he knew he was pretty special. He was probably still pretty cute. He was well-educated. He's got this hero uh, complex, I reckon, because he knows, like, what his backstory was. He knows some of the things that happened, and he's got this sense of God is going to do some great things with my life. Also, he's young. uh, He's got a lot of privilege, so he's probably overconfident. But he has this tension around and who he is as a Hebrew and where do I fit? I know I don't fit here. I'm wearing all the eye makeup that I'm trying to, but I still don't look like an Egyptian. I know I'm a Hebrew, but I don't fit with these Hebrews. Where's my identity? He's really, really lost. And possibly that's a space that you find yourself in, whether you're an, you're an immigrant or someone who's between two cultures, or you just don't feel like you fit in the place that you're in. That's, that's where Moses is coming from. So in, in Exodus 2, verses 11 to 15, should have those up on the PowerPoint. So one day after Moses has grown up, he's gone, he goes out to check out his people. So he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labour. I feel like that's a bit rude. Just going to watch you doing some work. But he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he kills the Egyptian and then hides the body in the sand. The next day, he went out again, and he sees two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. And when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. 
So he's seen the oppression of his people. And he knows that he is some way, he'll have a deep sense of knowing that he is destined to do something to free them. But he steps outside of his destiny with a little bit of a shortcut and in anger, he kills someone. He responds in a spirit of violence, goes, oh my gosh, this is not okay. I've got to hide the dead body. Then Pharaoh finds out, and this is a massive um, insubordination that Moses has kind of stepped in the system. It's a power move on the behalf of Moses. And Pharaoh is not okay about that. He has the power, Moses does not. And so Moses has to run away. He has to flee. He goes to Midian um, at the well. He does some ladies a favour. He's invited to stay with uh, their family, their Bedouin shepherds who, who worship Yahweh in some form. And he ends up marrying Zipporah, who um, turns out to be quite quite a helpful lady, uh, Zipporah, maybe don't add that name to your baby nameless. Maybe do. It'd be a controversial move. That'd be only one of you at school. So then he spends his time in the wilderness. Now the wilderness, you've got to imagine here, it's kind of like, it's quite desert-like. Uh, there's, there's definitely, there's plants, because there's a bush that we know is going to go on fire. But it's not like a jungle. We're not in the Amazon jungle. It's quite a desolate kind of space. It's the desert wilderness. And he has time there to think. He has time there to learn humility. And just imagine, imagine what it would have been like for Moses in that time. He grew up in the palace with all the luxuries. And now he's living in the desert, herding sheep. And he would have known, I thought I was called. But then what happened to that? I reckon that phrase that the um, Hebrews say, who made you ruler and judge over us? I reckon that would have been going round and round in his head for 40 years, rejected by the people he wanted to save, but he's never really felt like he belonged anywhere. At some point he has um, a son called Gershom. He names him Gershom because he says, I've become a foreigner in a foreign land. What you do is you name your child with something to be significant, to express something. He was always a foreigner. He don't think he ever felt like he fit. His sense of identity was really, oh, really stressed out. He's really struggling with his sense of meaning and he's really low, I can imagine. Maybe you've been in that space where you think, oh, I was going to do something for God and it has not worked out. And now I am just here in the desert, herding the sheep, doing a living, what it takes, but I'm pretty sure this is not what God had for me. Well, that is the space of encounter. You know, we, don't, we don't tend to encounter God that powerfully in moments of success and recognition. In those moments, the eyes are all on us and not on God. But I want to say to you, if you feel like you failed, if you feel like you're disappointed, if you feel like God has failed you, if you've given up, well, that's you're poised for encounter. And that is sometimes a moment everything changes, but often it's worked out over the process of time. And a lot of time, Moses spends 40 years in the wilderness. And then we get to the burning bush. So from Exodus 3, you might want to have your Bible open with your finger in Exodus 3 and we'll move through it. So Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. It's a bit of a mysterious place. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw 
that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses says, here I am. Don't come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. It goes on. God says, my heart's moved by my people's sufferings. I want to rescue them. I want to take them to a good place where they can flourish and, and do well. And he says, verse 10, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And Moses says, yes, sir, on it. And it was a short sermon. No, that is not what he does. Uh, what we're going to do is go through a series of objections that Moses raises with God. Like he, he has it out with God and he's, he's kind of bolshy in it, to be honest. I think I'd like to think that I'd be a little bit more submissive, but um, I think Moses is speaking out of his hurt. He's speaking out of his disappointment. He's speaking out of the weight of carrying that for years and years and years. And I imagine he's had these arguments in his head a lot of time. And I want to encourage you as we're reading scripture and as you're reading scripture yourself to read it with your imagination switched on. You've got to be careful. You don't want to add things uh, that aren't there and give them the same weight of authority as the things that are there, okay? That's dangerous. Your imagination does not carry the weight that Scripture actually does. But you can use your imagination to kind of flesh it out and round it out. We often forget that people like Moses were actually real people with feelings. You know, there's just little snippets of this thing here and Fast forward 20 years, this thing happens. What was happening in that 20 years? What would have been like inside of him? I want to encourage you as we're reading this, try to imagine a bit more what it would have been like uh, for Moses. I think if we are curious about what it was like for a character in the Bible and a bit compassionate sometimes, uh, that would help us to understand and to see ourselves in the story of Scripture as well. So first up, Moses has heard this, hey, go do this thing. That's what I'm calling you to. And I reckon it, it chimed with probably what he'd heard some way earlier on. But he says, first objection, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? 40 years ago, back when he saw the Egyptian slave driver, you know, brutally and unfairly beating the, the, slave, the slave, he didn't wait to be asked he was confident that he was the man. He was going to take some action. But now, after disappointment, after just sitting with it for so long, he's, who am I? Why would you be asking me, God? In God's response, he doesn't actually talk to Moses about who he is. God talks to Moses about who God is. He says, his response to that, well, I will be with you. That's the answer. Like, like Who you are is, like it's important. You're special. We're all special little snowflakes, yes. But when it comes to am I enough, the answer isn't, yes, you are enough because you are so special and you're so great. The answer is, yes, you are enough because I have called you and I am with you. And that should be where it stops. Divine calling, divine presence, it's what you need. Okay, got it. On it, God. But Moses continues. Uh, verse 13, he has a second objection. Moses says to God, but 
suppose I, I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Well, then what shall I say to them? It feels a little bit technical. Like, what's, I don't, oh, what's your name, Lord? You know, like it's when someone writes an introduction email for you and, and they say, hi, this is my friend Ruben. I'd like to connect you with him or whatever. Got to make sure you get the names right. It's not what he's getting to here. Because <coughs> God gives Moses this very enigmatic reply. Uh, it could be I am who I am or I was what I was and I will be what I always have been. And like, whoa, what is going on with time here and the way that you're using the different tenses of language, something strange is happening. But this is who God is. I am. And, he, and God says in 14 to 15, this is what you are to say to the Israelites, the I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. So it sounds like, and I used to read it like this, that he's like Moses is asking for God's identity like some kind of password. Like I've got to know that you know who I'm talking about. And if I use, this, if I use the magic word, then you'll be like, aha, God has sent you. But I reckon it's actually a lot more about Moses proving how he's been called, who's authorised him around his sense of identity. Because remember, Moses has this really conflicted identity as a Hebrew. You know, he's, he's a Hebrew, but he wasn't raised as a Hebrew. He's ethnically one of the enslaved Israelis, but he lives in exile, but in freedom from slavery. Like, where do I fit? He, he, he's married into a family of Bedouin shepherds, get that kind of vibe in your mind, but he doesn't fit there as well. God says to, the, to Moses, well, first when Moses says to God, he says, well, well how, am I, how do I say to them, the God of your fathers? It's not the God of our fathers. Moses is not identifying with the people he's sent to, but God says, no, 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 I am the God of your fathers. The way that the language that is being used here, that what God gives them is to say, no, no, I am one of you. And this is super important because Moses is fearful to approach the Jewish people with claims that he should have any kind of authority over them. You know, even back when he was in Egypt, they said, who, who are you, ruler and judge over me? You don't, who do you think you are? It would have been going around and around. Because the last time he tried to make that, that sense of, I'm exerting my authority, he failed so bad. Now, I'm going to assume that we have all failed at something. Yes? I probably won't ask you to put your hands up. But you should all be putting your hands up because hopefully you've all tried something. There will all have been a sense of failure. But I feel pretty confident in saying that you have never bombed so bad that you've murdered someone and buried their body to hide the evidence. If that is the case, please approach Reuben for a pastoral conversation. <laughs> but Moses let that failure define him. The problem wasn't with the calling. The problem was, was the approach, the way he started to kind of hijack it. Oh, I'm going to do this thing. He was led by his anger rather than by God. And there was that response. Who made you ruler and judge? And what's interesting is in Act 7, when they're talking about the story of Moses, that language comes out again. It says, this is the same Moses they had rejected with the words, who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God, which is what a judge is, himself, through the angel who appeared to him in the bush. So they were like, who do you think you are? Who do you think you'd make that? And God's like, no, this is what I'm sending you to do. 
to do exactly that. And God goes on to talk about the plan. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. All these kinds of things. Moses still not convinced. You know, God has been speaking to him about his identity and who he is in God. And that's a really, really, really important part of our spiritual formation to hear God speak to us about our identity and who he is and who we are and how we fit. But it's not enough for Moses. He doesn't go, okay, God, got it. I mean, he's having a conversation with a burning bush, which he would think he'd go, something's going on here I should submit to, but he's still got questions for God. And I, I love the way that God continues to listen to Moses. He doesn't say, just do it and do it because I said so. You know, like when your children, you say to your kids, do this thing. Could you go get a juicy? Why? Because I said so. I don't know about your kids, but because I said so doesn't tend to convince my children to action. I'm trying to get them to understand that sometimes mummy says, do this thing and you don't need to understand why it is because there might be stuff going on that you don't know about, but please trust me and just do it now because we're trying to go somewhere or whatever it is. But Moses does not submit to that. He, he reminds me of my children. Oh, he reminds me of myself as well. But his third objection, we're getting into the beginning of Exodus 4 now. He says, well, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And, and they say, you're making it up. The Lord did not appear to you. What am I going to do then? And God responds with some miracle working power. He's got this thing, that you've got a st- what's in your hand? Oh, it's a staff. Chuck it on the ground, turns into a snake. Pick it up, turns into a staff. Whoa. And then he does this thing like, look at your hand. It's looking good. Put it inside your cloak. Bring it out again. Whoa, it's got leprosy. Put it in. Bring it out again. Whoa, it's back to normal. And he tests these things out. And he's got some like good magic tricks. Like they're more than magic tricks. He's not just like pulling a coin out from behind your ear or anything. He's like actual transformation of objects. That's wild. But then he said, that we've got a backup one with um, take some water from the Nile, pour it out, it'll be blood. They'll, they'll believe that. And I love the way that God says, well, what's available to you? What's in your hand? Like literally, what is in your hand? Oh, let me do something amazing with that. And sometimes we are looking for God to prove himself in things that are out there, separate from us in some way. Sometimes God is saying to you, what is... What is in your hand? What is up close? What is familiar to you? We often think that God couldn't do amazing and miraculous things through the things that are familiar to us. But that's exactly what he does with Moses. I'm going to use your staff and your hand. God will come through somehow as you do it. And we know, probably know the familiar with the story of how it goes on and Moses does these tricks and everyone's like, whoa, that's quite impressive. But still, Moses is not agreed enough. He's not convinced. He won't say yes, even though he's seen like, well, this magic talking bush can turn my piece of wood into a snake. Like by that point, I'd like to think that I'd go, I have no idea what's going on. Clearly God is doing something sovereign and transcendent. I should should just, just agree, just agree, whatever. But he raises another objection. And this one I'm super interested in. Verse 10, Moses says to the Lord, well, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Now, when I used to read this piece of scripture, I read it as unwillingness. That kind of like, please don't 
um, make me do that kind of thing. It's just not really my gift mix. You know, please don't give me the microphone. Public speaking is not my kind of thing. But actually, when you when you read with the scripture, it's the way that he um, so slow of speech and slow of tongue. It talks about being heavy of speech or heavy of tongue and slow of speech. I think the most natural reading of it is that Moses saying, I'm really bad at talking, God, because I've got a speech impediment. But God is calling him to be the leader of a nation. I'm, I'm pretty confident that we would never elect as prime minister someone who had a serious speech impediment. I just don't think we'd do it. However great a politician they are, how great a leader they are, because they would, they would not be great naturally at the public speaking, uh, we would be too impatient to listen. But that is exactly who God calls to be the leader of a nation and to do a very public speaking role. You know, if Moses was to have sat down with the, um, you know, the career counsellor that you do, at, you do at high school, who does like those aptitude tests with you to kind of figure out what do you do after school. And if he'd sat down with Moses and Moses had this speech impediment, I'm pretty confident that public speaker would probably be off the list. But it's not. It's not. And, and God says, um, is it a problem? And he, he says this stuff around like the sovereignty around disability, and I think we've got to be careful around that stuff. The, the Bible isn't super specific about what's going on there. But I'm interested in the way that something's shifted for Moses. He's described in Acts 7 as when he was a young man being powerful in speech, powerful in action. I wonder what happened. Maybe he had a stroke. You know, that, that left him with a speech impediment. I'm not sure what it was. I can imagine Moses saying, maybe once you could have called me, God, but it's too late now. And so God responds, the Lord says to him, well, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight? Who makes them blind? It's not I, the Lord. Now go, I'll help you speak and teach you what to say. The thing I want you to really notice here is that God doesn't go, oh, that's right. Forgot about your speech impediment. Let me fix that. Great, you can talk now. God does not do that. And God clearly could. He's just done that thing with the, the staff and the snake and the hand and the leprosy. Like God's, I can't click with that hand. <laughs> um, God can clearly do that kind of thing. But at no point does God say, oh, right, that's right. That's a problem. Let's fix that for you. God's not bothered. Moses is bothered, but God's not bothered. He says, well, I'll help you. That'll be enough. Don't worry about it. And then Moses intensifies his objection. He just says, pardon your servant, Lord. Just please send someone else. He's kind of getting to the end of it. There's unwillingness, there's fear, there's hurt, there's doubt, there's disappointment. And it all produces disobedience. And God, at this point, starts to get angry. Right up until then, God has been patient, patient. You know, it's apparent. I'm patient, I'm patient, I'm patient. Now I'm angry. I'm sure I'm not the only one who does that, that kind of thing. But God has got this, this righteous anger here. Obviously, he's God, so it's got to be righteous. Where he's going, oh, I'm just, why do you not see that I'm enough, Moses? And again, God doesn't go, oh, okay, great. I'll fix your speech impediment. He says, I'll solve this with Aaron. Aaron can come and help you. Aaron will speak for you. Aaron will help you be confident in your speaking. 
God doesn't fix Moses, though he easily could have. God doesn't have a pro- problem with Moses' disability. In fact, something I, I really love is the way that later in Exodus, in Exodus 33, verse 11, Moses is described as someone who God chooses for special conversation. It says, The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Because when I speak face to face with Reuben, we talk, like I say things, he says things, it goes back and forth. We don't like read each other's minds. Has anyone developed that ability? That would be super handy. But we don't do that. We speak, don't we? And so what this, the verse is saying here is that God actually had like back and forth conversation with Moses. And no one else is described in the Bible like that. God chooses him for special conversation. He's happy to take time to, for Moses to continue talking with his speech impediment. And God chooses him for special conversation in a way that no one else has talked about like that. It really messes with our categories of thinking like, oh, who is the kind of person that God would want to use? What is the best kind of body to have? How might it work for someone with a disability? Surely God's got to fix them. Maybe not. God certainly doesn't with Moses. God solves the problem of Moses' disability not by changing Moses at all, but by getting him to work in a team and in community, by relying on someone else. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I see my own weaknesses, my limitations, and I would really love it if God would just fix them in me. Can you just help me to be confident enough or better at this or just okay at that? God, couldn't you just like make me better? And then I could do the things that you've called me to. I really wish that was the case. But it just doesn't seem to be how God works. My experience over this year has been that as I've gone, oh, I'm feeling weak in this thing. And I'm leaning on other people going, can you help me with this? I need someone to help me be confident today. I can't do this. Can you do this for me? There's a sense of community which adds so much more strength to the thing that God is doing than if he had made me okay or good at it. He, he makes community happen and that is so much more beautiful. So I want to ask you, what, what's this touching on for you? Do you feel like maybe you're along with Moses going, oh, no, not me for that thing? Or maybe not me for that thing in some part of your life. There often are, you know, some parts of our life where we're super confident. Yep, great at that and proficient, got the skills, bit of practice. And then God says, oh, what about this thing over here? How about, how about running a small group? How about, you know, serving on kids? How about starting a conversation with your workmate? Or how about stepping out in an area of your workplace that is slightly outside of your skill set? God often challenges us to, to, to go further and to stretch into things and we can be with Moses going, oh, her eyes, not me. I don't fit in this place. I don't have what it takes. They won't recognize my authority. They won't, I'll just be questioned. No, please just send someone else, Lord. But every objection that Moses makes is talking about his inadequacy. And God answers by talking about his provision, talking about God's presence, and talking about the presence of another person to work with. So I just have the um, keys up would be great. We're going to pray in a moment. And I want to I encourage you, just have a thought about what are the things, 
where you might be saying to God, oh, please, Lord, send someone else. And what might he be saying to you? Remember that the Lord is compassionate. He doesn't rebuke Moses at the start. He does eventually be like, okay, come on, mate. Like, you're just making excuses and excuses. My answer should be enough for you. But God is compassionate. Maybe you've got disappointed hopes. Maybe you have a pretty serious experience of failure. You know, again, hopefully not as bad as Moses's, but we've all failed in different ways. Maybe you look at yourself and go, I just clearly do not have what it takes for that thing. It's often in the place where we go, I do not have what it takes, where God shows that he has what it takes and that it is more than enough. You might think, oh, it's too late. Like, I'm, I'm too old. Moses is, is getting on by this point. He is not a young man anymore. And it's in his weakness that God shows up super powerfully. So let's take some moment to pray. Father God, we're thankful that you have been speaking to us. God, we are thankful that you see us amongst the crowd. Lord, that you know our story. Lord, you know us better even than we know ourselves. But Lord, when you look at us, you still see promise and hope. However weak we might be, however unqualified we might be, however old or young we might be, Lord, you look at us through the lens of your love and through your spirit, Lord, you see promise and you see hope. And God, we ask that in the deep places of our heart, Lord, where we have filed away and closed the door on the disappointment, the bitterness, the resentment that we might have, the disappointed dreams. God, we just open the doors on those again even just a chink, God, and say, would you, would you shine some light in here? Father God, I ask that for each one of us in this room today, God, that we would say, oh, not me, please send someone else, Lord. God, that you would speak to us about the issues of our heart that um, cause that response to arise. Lord, I thank you that we serve a God who doesn't, doesn't hear that kind of objection and just go, just do it because I said so. You don't drive us hard, Lord, but you take us on a journey. Lord, you speak your truth to the deep places of our lives. And God, we ask that you would do that. Help us to hear that you are the God who makes a way where we do not see a way forward. God, I pray as we go on and sing together that we would hear you speaking to us about who you are. You'd speak to us about who we are and who we are as people in community, God, but that you would stir our faith for the God who makes a way. We praise you for your compassion, Lord, that you are faithful even when we are faithless. God, would you stir faith within us today? God, would you stir courage within us today? Lord, we ask for your forgiveness for where we have said no to you. 
for we we have focused far too much on who we are and not enough on who you are. God, may we hear your compassionate encouragement. Lord, would we even hear your rebuke where we need it? We trust, God, that you are well able to fulfil your good purposes for us. Lord, would you empower us to participate in those? We praise you, our God, that you are the one who makes a way because of who you are, not because of who we are. In Jesus' name we pray. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.